Right, Martin, it's a pleasure to, to speak to you today. Thanks for coming on the podcast. It's great to see you, Dave. You're looking rather trembling, pal. <laughs> Thank you. I've been trying to, trying to get me lockdown workouts in. <laughs> so first of all, before we start on anything else, mate, I just want to congratulate you on your recent uh, lockdown community award by the Daily Telegraph. Yeah, mate. Um, it's been quite bizarre, really, um, all the way through COVID. Um, um, it's been just an incredible journey. Um, I've, I've, not many people can say they've had an incredible journey through COVID, but I think it's safe to say that um, the SPF and certainly myself have been on an incredible journey. But um, been very, very fortunate to have the support that we have during uh, lockdown through mm-hmm. the Eccleston Arms Essential Item Service yeah. and uh, some uh, great personalities who's joined us along the way. So tell us about it. What exactly was it? What you was doing? Yeah, well, what happened? Um, I think uh, everyone can remember the uh, nurse who came on Breakfast TV who was absolutely devastated. She couldn't get any vital services or any vital provisions. Mm-hmm. She was doing 18-hour uh, shifts. And there was no supermarkets open at the time. Um, and when the supermarkets was open, there was nothing that she could uh, purchase. That was like so, um, Yeah, it was, mate. You know, it seems like a lifetime ago um, from, from then. Uh, but uh, so I seen that on Breakfast TV and I just said to me wife, said, God, do something about this. Um, I phoned up Andrew McKyle from Eccleston Arms. Uh, the Bold Hotel in Southport and other establishments. He's been a great supporter of the SPF uh, from day one. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, I said, Andy, I said, you've got to turn your pubs into essential items superstores. Yeah. And he said, no way, you can't do that. And at the time, the pubs were still open. They weren't shut. I said, Andy, I said, they're going to shut within the next week or so. I said, we've just got to help out the community. And uh, I was fairly insistent, and uh, he said to me, the right, okay, let's do it. Nine hours later, uh, the superstores was open. The super, the, the transformation was incredible into uh, the pubs. Yeah. So we set out to uh, supply food, um, um, fresh food, uh, to the NHS staff, the vulnerable and the elderly. Uh, we got Blackbrook Rugby League Club involved. We had mm-hmm. 40 volunteers ready wow. to to go out and start delivering. Well done. Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> Phone call come through. Um, <laughs> so, um, like I say, within, within like 12 hours, everything was ready. Um, we started getting it out there, and then I got a phone call off... Um, and Michael Pennington, better known as Johnny Vegas, right. <laughs> um, who, who's been a great supporter of the SPF. And he said, um, I've seen what you've been doing or what you've set up, Martin. It's a great idea. And I want to get involved. I'm coming up from London. I'm going to be spending my time um, up in St. Helens, not in London, during lockdown. Yeah. I said, so I do want to get involved. So uh, we got the rest of our ambassadors involved, uh, Tommy Martin, Lee Braz, Paul Schoolthorpe, uh, Martin Murray, the usual suspects. Yeah. Um, we got 
Jack Bennett, good old Jack, um, mm-hmm. the singer, lead singer from Stillia. Well, I've, we seen some of the stuff, I've seen some of the stuff on Facebook where he was he was knocking on doors, delivering, and then giving him a little uh, little sing and a song on guitar, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was f- fantastic. What, what we set out to achieve was, at the time, it was all doom and gloom, and it you know it you know it was a bad place for everyone. Yeah. And we, what we wanted to do was to provide a service which was desperately needed, um, and also to bring a bit of joy and happiness into people's lives. Yeah, and I, and I think at the time as well, I think what people didn't realise was these volunteers we had was putting their lives in jeopardy as yeah, well, yeah. and they weren't doing it for any personal glory. They was just doing it so people could stay home and stay safe. Yeah, um, and it was it it went ballistic. It went bigger than our wildest dreams. Um, and I can remember me being sat in the same position I was I am today. Um, and Johnny phoned me up. This was on the Wednesday after we started, and he said, "I'm, I'm going to send you a video now." He said, "And I think you're going to be quite surprised." So I received a video, and uh, it was off Russell Crowe, wow. Gladiator Russell Crowe, yeah. <laughs> um, wishing us support and the best of luck. And uh, that I'm went out to that. two yeah. and a half million views. And I have to say, uh, a little bit embarrassed by this, but I started <laughs> crying. And the missus said to me, said, what's up with you? What are you crying for? <laughs> and I just realised the enormity of what yeah, just the happened. Impact, the impact that you've had yeah. and the fact that it reached yeah. out to celebrities like Russell Crowe and all that. And yeah, it's massive, isn't it? So, the media just went, that went crazy. And um, the first three, four weeks, um, it was like 20-hour days. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, but it was so it was so needed in the time. Um, yeah, it's for a greater cause, isn't it? So, like, the, the fact yeah. that you're putting those hours in isn't even an issue, is it? You, you, you're trying to, we, trying to improve morale in the community and provide people with essential... Yeah. Items, we, we we have a great relationship with uh, St. Helens Council, mm-hmm. but uh, they, they at the time, they were stretched to the max. Um, the government kept on throwing them hand grenades, to be honest, yeah. Uh, yeah. saying, you've got to do this, but we're giving you no money for it. Um, and we basically, um, we worked alongside the council to fill that void. For yeah. the people who, the amount of phone calls we got of people saying, you know, we've got, we've got two kids, three kids, got no food at all, no food whatsoever. Um, what can, you know, we just went out there and we, you know, yeah. we, we, we filled in the gaps. And uh, like I say, it was just an incredible experience. I had a conversation um beginning of the week, I'd say, on another, another podcast episode. And we, we kind of, take for granted there was kind of three tiers of, of people who were affected by like the covid epidemic there was there was the people who were obviously ill and, and contracted the virus and they were very poor like, there was the people who had just maybe made furlough maybe or who were working from home so apart from staying in and staying safe it didn't really maybe affect them they were able to save money really and then there was the people who you, you really can't understand what it's like to not be able to provide food for your family you know, I mean, they were yeah. all like at rock bottom. And I think it's something that 
a lot of people, including myself, you, you forget about that that part of the community and that part of society. And for you lot to step up like that, it's it's amazing and understand that there are people out there who, who needed that, that help at that time. Yeah, that's right. Um, the the government uh, said that it was sending out essential items packs, but it was just a long wait. It was weeks and weeks before anybody got organised to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I say, the phone, the phone just didn't stop. And um, I'm pleased to say we never said no to anybody. Um, you know, we just did what we could. Yeah. Uh, but it then went on to another stage uh, from the actual food. Uh, Johnny Vegas was really uh, proactive on this was the PPE situation which was just that was just mind blowing mm. um, last night I watched the um, Panorama uh, uh, program about the Kerhomes yeah. um, and how you know they were left you know to basically you know for elderly to, to die and without yeah. any support and it was just, it was just heartbreaking. But mm-hmm. I can remember um, a phone call from um, Nosley District Nurses who phoned me up. And the woman, uh, she was distraught. And she said, got 100 care staff. Yeah, we've got um, uh, 100 nurses. Um, 10 of them are off with coronavirus. And we've not got one, one piece of PPE. We've not Seriously? got one piece whatsoever. Um, can you help us out? So w- within a couple of hours, we got 2,000 pieces over to him through Johnny. Um, and just for people like that to be put in that position, I know. just... Well... Crazy, you know, I know, mind-blowing that yeah. people are trying to help people and save people's lives and they've not even got the protection themselves to be able to do that that job that that's right you know and it's it, you know it sent shivers down my spine thinking of those conversations i was having um just total, total mismanagement of the situation yeah you know it's just no excuse but hey oh um yeah we did a fantastic job mate you can hold your head up high i know you're, you're a humble person and you, you'll you'll put praise on the rest of the team rather than yourself and that like but you all stepped up and provided something that was that was really needed in the community so um yeah um like you say about the team even to the end we still have 40 odd people you know <laughs> I, I was just basically um i live in winsford yeah i don't live in st Helens anymore um i was just basically the fat controller um and i was just sat here in the garden just directing things so yeah. without the support of you know Blackbrook Rugby Club were just immense absolutely yeah. immense um, and the staff at Eccleston Arms went above above the call of duty they just phenomenal there's so many people you know awesome. and like I say I couldn't do it without them <laughs> No, fantastic. So we've, we've spoke there about the, the SPF, the Steve Prescott Foundation. I'm conscious that, that yep. there'll be people listening to this or watching it who might never have heard of the Steve Prescott Foundation, um, who are outside of St. Helens, outside of Rugby League. So yeah, just give us a brief background, Martin, how it got started and what it stands for. Oh, a brief background, right. Um, Steve Prescott, um, lucky enough to... Um, um, 
he was the most inspirational man anybody could ever meet. Um, he was a fantastic, fantastic rugby league player. Mm-hmm. Uh, people often forget about his exploits on the pitch, you know, because of his Herculean efforts off the pitch. Um, uh, he, I would say he was uh, one of the first attacking fullbacks. He right. was a little bit before his time. But in 2006, he got diagnosed with pseudomyxoma peritoni, which is a rare form of abdomen cancer. Uh, he got told he had three to six months to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and he underwent uh, what they called the mother of all surgeries, which was in Basingstoke, which he removed a 24-pound tumour from his stomach. A um, couple of days after he had that operation, he went on the treadmill and he'd done a mile walk. And uh, that was the nature of the man. Yeah. When I got told about Steve, I uh, ran a rugby league fans forum. Um, and uh, all my grandparents uh, passed away with cancer. And I said to him, I said that. I said to me, Nan, who was the last one, said I was going to do something for cancer and never did. So when I heard about Steve, it just seemed right that we. Um, uh, started to support Steve. Yeah. Uh, so, set up a, a bucket collection at the Saints versus Hull game, which was happening nine days' time after the news broke. And uh, got a phone call off uh, a guy called Mike Denning, who is the chairman of the SBF. Never mm-hmm. met Mike before. And he said, uh, Prescott family, who's a close friend of Steve's, he said, uh, to just want to get on with the rest of uh, what time he's got left. Uh, and I said, well, that's great, Mike. I said, but, you know, Steve's got wife and two kids. I said, um, and they're going to need, you know, some support for when the inevitable happens. Yeah. So Mike talked him into going ahead with a bucket collection. Uh, Mike joined me and we, uh, we raised £8,900 from that bucket collection, which was, a phenomenal event yeah. <laughs> uh, and we went on then to just uh, doing other fundraising events uh, for the Prescott family uh, which went into a trust fund right. uh, uh, for the kids and then um, I got to meet Steve um, and it was one of those moments the first time I met him was at it was the Hilton in St. Helens um, it's now Shannon Court and different yeah. names it's had and we had a gala dinner and I looked at him and I thought if anybody could beat cancer it's going to be Steve Prescott you know you could just I can I can picture him now and him looking at me and I've, I just knew that he, he had so much fire in his eyes yeah. you know so much will to, to live anyway we went to uh, Saints versus Wigan uh, supporters uh, game for uh, the Christie's Cancer Hospital. This was about uh, six months after his the, the original diagnosis, and uh, uh, we raised a significant amount of money by then. And Steve turned around to me. He said, "You've raised enough money for the for the fund now. Let's raise money for the Christie's Cancer Hospital and the Rugby League Benevolent Fund." Right. Who I've supported him. So he said, what can we do? And I just turned around to him and 
I was joking. I said, well, you can walk from Hull to the grand final <laughs> uh, via all the Super League clubs. Yeah. And he said, can we? And I, I said, <laughs> yeah, of course. You can do anything if you set your mind to it. And he, that was like seven weeks away. Uh, so I set out about organising it. And we thought we might raise £20,000 or something. Mm-hmm. Something like that. So that's what we set out to do. Um, and Steve, he had chemotherapy and he already had blisters on his feet when we at the start. Yeah. Um, so I thought this is going to be just incredible for him to do this. Anyway, uh, every day he really, really struggled. But that's when um, I realised that Steve Prescott wasn't wired up right. <laughs> he was a little bit, it was a little different gravy because yeah. um, um, the suffering that I seen him endure, but he would not give in. He was doing 20 miles a day. He was at back of the group all the time. He was, like I say, every every day was a real struggle for him. But he what do you think? Him. Sorry to interrupt you, Martin. Yeah. People, people obviously look up to Steve and they'll use him as inspiration, especially when people are carrying out these like massive feats of endurance that the SPF yeah. put on. People use Steve as inspiration. What do you think Steve was using as inspiration to do those challenges? What was it? What was his drive? What was he motivated? What was his motivation? Uh, all it was was Steve was um, what was survival, right? That was his main motivation, and especially at that time, um, because he he looked at it and um, he had just this drive, this feeling of he wanted to beat cancer, and he knew the only way he could beat cancer was by getting his body in the fittest, fittest shape, the fittest form. Um, And Lindsay always says this, that um, Steve was a better person when he was doing a challenge. Yeah. Um, because it it took his mind off being a cancer sufferer mm-hmm. to being a cancer survivor, and that was the that was the main difference for him. Yeah. You know that, that that's, yeah yeah that that's what um, myself personally I, I I had a few problems at the time. And Steve taught me positive mental attitude. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you don't have that mental attitude to get over adversity, then you're going to keep on that couch. Yeah. If you don't change your mindset to be positive and to get out there and to make the most of your situation to overcome adversity, then, then you're not going to get any better. Exactly. You know, yeah. so, and that's what he wanted to... Uh, show people on these challenges. Uh, you know, the first walk we did, um, it raised seventy nine thousand pound. The the money was for, was phenomenal and made a huge difference. But it wasn't about the money. It was to show people that I've been told I've got cancer. I've been told I only had a few months to live. Yeah. I'm still here. I'm still li- living a relatively normal life. But, you know, I'm going to beat cancer, <laughs> you know, and we, the following year we did um, 
the walk came to be a 250 mile walk. It was a different Steve Prescott. Yeah. It was a Steve Prescott that nobody could keep up with. Uh, from the guy who was at the back, he was at the front with Tommy Martin. Um, and uh, my problems then as the organiser, nobody could keep up with him. So he was moaning, saying, I've come for a walk with Steve, but I can't keep up with him. <laughs> but I couldn't say to Steve, slow so down. down. Yeah. Because that wasn't in his psyche. His psyche was all about winning getting there as fast as he could and improving his fitness. Mm -hmm. Walks then never came. Walks were not good enough for him then. We had to go on to things more challenging. So in (laughs) 2009, we did the Carnegie Challenge, which we recreated last year. Um, That was a bike ride from Catalans to Calais, uh, from Dover to Windsor Castle, um, a 26 mile dragon boat from Windsor Castle to Teddington Lock and then a half marathon running to Wembley that was the first major major challenge yeah. uh, extreme challenge now for someone who had uh, terminal cancer to be able to do this again it was just incredible um, it was a great experience to see to walk around the picture at the first ever Wembley to deliver the match ball again, was just uh, a great experience for us all. And to see Steve, you know, smash it, uh, he was really thriving at the time. Yeah. Um, And then uh, 2010, we did the Lands Entergyon Groats Extreme Challenge, which was cycled the jog. (laughs) And then uh, on top of that, to climb three national peaks, Ben Nevis, Scarfell. What, what kind of happened when, when each of these when each of these events had finished? Was Steve straight on the ball? Right, we're going to do this next. Was he already planning uh, the next one, or was it a more uh, of a team effort, more of a team planning? Uh, it was always at the time. It was always team planning between myself and Steve. Right. Um, but after an event, it was during the event. Never ever going to do this again. I'm never going to put my body through this again. Yeah. And then a day or two days after, he'd phone me up, right, what are we doing now? We're doing this. <laughs> you know, and it, um, he, got, he definitely got, like I said before, Lindsay, Lindsay said about him being a better person while he was doing challenges. Again, it was giving him that mindset to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve, Steve was uncomfortable at... Um, telling people um, what was going on with him, you know, what he was actually going through on a daily basis. Um, and I think if you read his book, uh, One in a Million, which is uh, still out there, mm-hmm. um, that tells you uh, what he was going through on a daily basis. Right. Um, and, you know, even I didn't get to see what he was doing. Obviously, Lindsay did. Um, but people out there just took it for granted. They seen yeah. him looking so well, right, um, so fit, and being able to do these challenges. They didn't realise what he was going through. Um, and that, when we go to um, 2012, when he done the last, his last challenge. Um, which was 
the forty-eight hour challenging uh, from Hull to Old Trafford. That yeah. was a one-mile swim across the River Humber, hundred and thirty-eight mile cycle to uh, the River Mersey, a mile swim across the River Mersey, and then a twenty-six mile kayak to uh, Old Trafford uh, in forty-eight uh, hours. I think is it is it. I've been fortunate to attend the uh, St Helens Pride Pride of St Helens Awards on a few occasions, and yeah. the video that gets shown, and I think it's Paul Schoolfort that is talking. I think it's about that event where he says yeah, like, it is. The, the conditions were so bad, there's no way he was going to be able to swim in it, and they already got there, and Steve Prescott had already jumped in and started swimming. He was like, "Well, can't let him go on his own," so he uh, <laughs> yeah. was ready for quitting, but the main man wasn't that, there. So. Well, the story behind that, Scully actually says. Um, I've never been a quitter, but this is the closest I've ever come as right, quitting yeah, yeah. anything in my life. Yeah. And I can remember that clear as day what happened. Uh, during the night, it was it must it must have been sixty mile an hour winds and horizontal rain over Saddleworth Moor. Uh, and the footage is there for everyone to see. Yeah, it was great. just incredible. You had Chris Joint. Um, ex-Saints captain uh, he was riding along the East Langs and he had his hand behind Steve just to keep him grabbing hold of him just yeah. to keep him upright yeah. but Steve, Steve wouldn't give in and then we, uh, we get into uh, the hotel at uh, Liverpool we get in there at half past six we had to be back out for the swim at quarter to eight so they had a quick shower um, and we get into this car park and the tide was just oh it was just manic and um, all the we didn't have enough safety boats some didn't turn up and uh, the the guy the head of the safety boat said listen guys um, I'm telling you now you can't do this. It's not safe to do this. You're yeah. going to end up in Dublin if you <laughs> <laughs> if you try to swim across the River Mersey. The tide is that strong, it's going to take you Jesus. out. And Steve just took on a car, and I apologise to the person's car who it was, <laughs> uh, but he just jumped up on this car. He said, I've come all this way. He said, and I am not, I'm not going to pack it now. You either... You support me or you don't, but I'm yeah. going to swim across. <laughs> so then uh, Scully said, well, if you're going, I'm going. And they, they all, um, they, there would be about 18 of them who put their hands up. And then we had to just sort out 10 people to go. Yeah. So they jumped in into the River Mersey and uh, we started up at the furthest point that we could. And we... Ran, we drove over to the other side, hoping to meet them at um, near the ferry terminal right. or up from the ferry terminal. And it, it became evident the tide was just taking them out more and more. <laughs> so the more they were swimming, the more further away they were getting. And uh, it, it did become dangerous. Wow. But they all got to within uh, five meters of yeah. touching the wall. Um, and we got the safety bolts to pick them up. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that, that was incredible. And just, just, just after that, 
Um, Steve then had complications. Uh, he had obstructions in his bowels. Mm-hmm. And um, he was in Salford Royal. Uh, his intestines had pack, packed up. Um, I look at it now, and I often think that that challenge was too tough. It was too tough. By far, it was too tough, and it probably took too much out of Steve. Um, whether regret putting the challenge on, don't. F- it's hard. That's hard. But. Um, like I say, Steve suffered afterwards, mm-hmm. uh, which led to him uh, taking on the first uh, multivisceral transplant operation. Yeah. Um, how that came about, like I say, he went through uh, Christmas, New Year on a TPM machine, which meant he got fed by liquid, kept him alive. Um, and it, he was permanently on the internet. Uh, I'll tell you just uh, one story. This just sums up, Steve. Um, I say we went through Christmas, New Year, and uh, we was looking at planning events for 2013. Yeah. Things was put on hold a bit because of Steve's condition. And I went round to his house once, and uh, he said to me, he said, uh, right, he said, I'll tell you what I'm doing this year. I said, go on, tell me. He said, uh, I'm climbing Kilimanjaro. <laughs> I, this is a guy who's not had a bacon bussy for four or five months. Yeah. And he said to me, he said, yeah, I'm climbing Kilimanjaro. I said, okay, Steve. I said, I'll look into it. <laughs> anyway, I, go, I goes home and I looks into it. And I goes back to his house two days later and I says, yeah, you're climbing Kilimanjaro. I said, it's going to take nine days. And it's going to cost X amount of money. Nine days. Nine days. That fat bastard, Chris Miles, does it in nine days. We're doing it extreme. <laughs> and I, I, said to, I said, mate, no. I said, you've just got to get yourself right. I said, don't worry about the challenges. Yeah. So I'm telling you now. He said, I've looked it up. We can do it in, nine, in five days. I knew he was going to say this to me. And I said, well, the success rate of doing it in five days is 20%. I said, you know, it's really, really, you know, yeah, diff- yeah. it's madness. Um, and he said, we're doing it that way. So I put put it out there and, you know, Steve had all the intentions of doing it. Um, and we, we got a team of 13 who took part in the first ever Kilimanjaro trip for us. Um, and we got 13 up and down in five days. But Steve sadly didn't make it. Mm. Um, he he got in touch with a, a surgeon called Dr. Anil Vaidia, who was at Oxford Transplant, Os, Oxford right. Churchill Hospital. Um, and this went over for months where uh, Anil had done some transplants, but nobody with pseudomyxoma. Um, anyway, he talked to Neil into going to the British, uh, to the British medical board who had to then go to the world medical board on getting this operation, uh, giving him the green light to go ahead with it. Yeah. Steve had to go down to Oxford, uh, prove that he was fit enough, uh, which at the time 
Um, like say he was only on liquids, but he had to he had to show them that he was mentally fit yeah, enough yeah, to do it, yeah. and also physically, and he had to do some exercises. He's down there for five days, and then they got the green light to go ahead with the operation. Um, uh, the trouble was with with the operation. Steve had a, a rare blood group. He couldn't get anybody with the same blood group. Mm-hmm. Uh, but time was running out. Steve wouldn't have lasted without the operation. You know, uh, he was deteriorating pretty rapid then. Yeah. Um, or everything was failing on him. Um, and uh, he underwent the first ever for, um, multiviscal transplant operation in the world, um, which basically meant his whole stomach mm-hmm. was took out and a new stomach put in. Um, and it was a 32-hour operation. The operation was an incredible, incredible success. Yeah. You know, um, I can remember seeing pictures of Steve afterwards um, with thumbs up, and, uh, you know, we thought a miracle had happened. Um, and Steve would be still here now, and the story would be a lot different, uh, but... He got a graft, what they call a graft versus host disease, where his antibodies rejected the donor's antibodies. Right. Um, and sadly, you know, he, he you know, he, he passed away, um, which was, uh, um, you know, it just uh, lost me brother. Yeah. Uh, and a I lot of the, the whole of St. Helens came to a standstill, didn't it? And I still, I remember the, the funeral at the top of North Road and that, and the whole of St. Helens just came to a, a stop, didn't it? Yeah. yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. That was just a mark of respect that the man had. I uh, can remember the England Rugby League team, they all came to the to the funeral. Mm-hmm. All the Saints team was there, and uh, yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, sad time. But, yeah. you know, yeah. um, Steve always wanted the charity to continue, if possible. But that comes down onto uh, big shoulders. Uh, and there was only one person who could make that decision, and that was uh, Lindsay Prescott, Yeah. Uh, whether yeah. she wanted to continue. Um, so uh, Lindsay was a million percent behind continuing the charity. We did not know what we was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we asked our ambassadors if they wanted to continue the charity. Yeah. Um, and we we came about um, moving the charity forward. Um, we do not put on any events without an SBM, SBF ambassador taking part. Mm-hmm. They're basically there instead of Steve. Yeah. So. At the time, we donated um, £500,000 to the Christie's and the Benevolent Fund. And um, from 2013 to 2017, we raised a million pounds in that period, that four-year period. Yeah. It It goes back to what I was saying before about people didn't realize how bad Steve was mm-hmm. uh, while he was here. 
how ill he was while he was yeah. here. And I think it was only, it only dawned on people what Herculean efforts he did while he was here. And that's why we got so much support Yeah, uh, in that period. And, uh, you know, that period, God, he would have been, he would have loved every event we did. Um, <laughs> to be Kilimanjaro, uh, we went back up to Kilimanjaro and we, we uh, took 40-odd people. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they ended up being the Guinness World Record holders for the highest game of rugby league. Oh, nice. You know, <laughs> he would have absolutely loved that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And all the challenges that we've done since. What's been the toughest one since since then then, Martin? What's been the toughest one since since kind of 2013 that you've done? Um like I say for me I've been I've been sat I've been sat back organising the events. Um I think we've done two Everest events. We've done another Kilimanjaro. Uh, last year, we done the Carnegie Challenge, which Taylor Prescott took on. Um, yeah. we'll, get on to, we'll get on to Taylor in a minute because I want to talk about his, yeah. his ultra-marathon consecutive yeah. thing in a minute. We'll be able to touch on that in a minute. Yeah. Barking. Uh, but as regards to the toughest, um, they've, they've all been incredibly tough. Um, We've had, you know, a, a few issues along the way with people's health scares. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we, we did try to do the ice game of football up Kilimanjaro. Right. Um, uh, but that failed because the weather wasn't right. Um, when the guys got to the top of Kilimanjaro, the clouds come in. Uh, there was a snowstorm and everything right. else. So... I think, you know, for the guys not to complete a challenge, I think that has to go down as the toughest. Uh, oh, nice, because yeah. it, it wasn't completed. Uh, but, you know, uh, you just got to... Everyone who's gone out on a challenge of the, these natures, it's changed their lives. Uh, yeah. They've become friends for life with people. They're, the camaraderie, they're still in the WhatsApp groups yeah. and everything else. They still keep in touch. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, those people all are just special people who've done that. Yeah. You kind of, you kind of like all come to those people who sign up to these challenges. You, you're going through adversity together, aren't you? So you, whether in times of war and in times of epidemics like this current COVID epidemic now, that the bonds you build with people and you're trying to help each other get through this adversity, and it, it builds people up and you, it changes you for life, doesn't it? Those experiences. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, yeah, it is a wartime footing. I mm. suppose when you put on put on an SPF shirt, <laughs> you're, you're going to war. I think that's a good analogy, analogy to be honest. But yeah. uh, you know, um, like I say, it's priceless for some people. You know, um, and everyone's got a different story of why they want to do it. Yeah. yeah, everyone wants to support uh, Steve's legacy. Everyone wants to support the Christie's Ardour Believe Benevolent Fund. But you need a personal motivation as well. And, you know, it could be, you know, you've had a breakup or uh, you've lost somebody or somebody yeah. like something like that. And uh, yeah. it does get you through some of the stories that we hear. We hear. It's just incredible. It and then you've got, we've also got like uh, people like um, the survivors. You know, since Steve's 
operation. There's now 12, 12 people who's now leading relatively normal lives. Uh, the hits first, right, brilliant, yeah. You know, um, you've got Adam Alderson. Um, Adam is just an incredible guy. Um, he was the second person to undertake the uh, transplant. Uh, he went out on the Mongol Rally, which is travelling all over Europe, right. um, all over the continent, through Russia and through everywhere. Uh, that was an incredible challenge. Um, he's just about to do uh, uh, Land's End to John O'Groats challenge on a monkey bike, which is about 18 inches high. Um, yeah. And he's going to be doing that in 38 days. But, uh, sorry, in two days, 38 hours. Uh, Steve, to see people like Adam taking part in these events, you know, he'd be thrilled. Yeah. And then you've got, um, uh, when I was doing... This latest walk, um, one of the latest patients, the thirteenth patient um, to undertake the transplant, a guy called Stephen Ashley. Uh, he he joined me for a six mile walk, and had, uh, it was great, a huge honour for me, a yeah, huge yeah. privilege for me to uh, be alongside somebody who again just bought a motorhome. <laughs> Then living a relatively normal life to be with him, knowing that he he wouldn't be here without Steve. Yeah, you know yeah. Um, that's priceless to be honest. So, what was the challenge you've been doing then recently, Martin? Was it well ten k? How many ten k did you end up walking? <laughs> running, running, sorry. Well, uh, like I say, they called me the fat controller. Um, I'm not the fittest. I'm not the healthiest of people, um, but. Uh, this year, when COVID struck and we set out the Eccleston Arms essential items, um, it was uh, hard times for every charity. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how are we going to survive? Because it was quite clear that most of our events for this year would have to be cancelled. Yeah. Um, yeah. We can't survive if we don't have any money coming in. So we did the Eccleston's essential items and that was just really to help people um, uh, overcome adversity and support our local community. And there was no money influence there whatsoever. But we had, I had to come up with things that was going to raise us yeah. some cash. So we cancelled the Peru trip that we was going to do. We were supposed to go to Machu Picchu. Mm -hmm. uh, we cancelled the uh, Tower to Tower where we was doing a bike ride from Paris to London. Um, we just had to cancel the Yorkshire Free Peaks, which yeah, is going to be happening in September. You were joining us on that, David. Yeah. Uh, so we had no money, money revenue coming in. So... Uh, I came up with um, us doing a a relay where we had to do Land's End, run from Land's End to John O'Groats in uh, in a week. Which we had we had to get twenty people for seven days to run a ten k run. Yeah, um, which equated to eight hundred and ninety six miles, <laughs> uh, and within a the space of three, three days, I got 140 people signed up, 
uh, it was phenomenal. Um, and I put myself forward to running a 10K. Yeah. Um, I've got to say, I've always said, we, we do the St. Helens 10K, which uh, we've done now for 10 years. And my excuse, when people say to me, you're not doing the uh, 10K, I always say to them, I'll do the 10K if you come out with me at 4 o'clock in the morning on the day of the 10K to organise the event, which I normally yeah. run. I normally walk about 25K on oh, that right. day. On the day, yeah. Yeah, so that's always been my excuse. <laughs> but um, I've had to go from being a fat controller to kind of putting my hand up out of my comfort zone. Yeah, definitely. So I, I did the 10K. Um, the missus thought I did a few live videos at the time. It was like a, a walk run, walk run, yeah, or my kind of running. And it looked like I was having a heart attack <laughs> on many occasions. Um, and I have to say, it was, it was the toughest thing I had done personally, yeah. So, um but it's relative, it isn't it? It's relative as well, though, isn't it, Martin? Like, that was your yeah. Kilimanjaro, do you know what I mean? That's all relative to the individual. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, you're, correct, you're correct there, Dave. Um, you know, I, I see people doing extreme events all the time. Um, but, you know, I get more satisfaction out of seeing somebody who, who has changed their life, changed their circumstances, improved the fitness. Definitely, yeah. To actually doing an event mm -hmm. you know um and i think um i i encourage a lot of pe when people see me put my name up put my hands forward uh to do the 10k i think encourage a lot of people to do that yeah um so so that event raised us um i think about 17 grand which was which was fantastic think, more yeah. than what we thought uh and then uh as a Often happens, uh, most of the ideas that we have for the SPF, um, the ones I come up with normally happen during the night. So <laughs> I woke up on a Tuesday, Tuesday morning at 3.23 and I thought, um, we'll do uh, the, the Challenge Cup should have been on uh, July the 18th, the final. So I came up with um, doing a virtual walk, run, skipping, hopping, yeah. whichever way you want to do, to from your local club uh, to Wembley. <laughs> so, uh, again, I put my name forward for this. Um, it was 216 miles for me. Um, and I had to, my dog's barking now. <laughs> no problem. And I had to do, uh, it was over 30 days. Uh, so it worked out 6.75 miles a day walk for me, yeah. which, again, never walked away from the couch. You know, never never had the time to do that as well. You know, it, it, um, because you normally do one event and moving on to another event. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for me, it's the time as well as, uh, you know, the physical exertion. Yeah. So uh, I set out, we got um, about 44 people signed up to do the event. Uh, and it just gave people uh, something to do during um, when he was furloughed or yeah. 
um, you know, again, filling up people's time. That was a massive um, part of it, wasn't it? Because people had lost their routine and their structures and research shows that if you've not got a routine or a structure in place, that's when negative thoughts, negative behaviours start creeping in. So to give someone a structure and that, definitely. Yeah, definitely. People, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. You've got um, the gyms weren't open as well. Yeah. So um, I think at the time, I think at the time, you you could only do one hour a day or something like that. Oh, I yeah. think that just got lifted outside. So it was great timing and it was a great event. Um, and myself personally, uh, before we get on to Taylor, um, I missed a few days out just through different things, um, things that needed to be done. And it soon went up to nine miles a day, <laughs> my average had to be. Yeah. And I was under real pressure. Um, my, my body could take uh, six miles a day. Um, to get my body back after me walking six miles a day uh, would take me about two hours, two, nice. three hours, because uh, of me having arthritis or whatever. But mm. when it got to nine miles a day, uh, I was under pressure. So um, <laughs> I did uh, I did six miles in the morning, around about that. And then um, I got a treadmill in, uh, my daughter's treadmill in, and I'd done uh, three miles at night. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was a this it, I, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed parts of it. Um, <laughs> from when I live, I've got a golf course at the back of me, um, and within half a mile, there's the River Weaver. Right. I didn't know it was there. All right. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say I did not know it was there. So, um, so you've got out exploring, of, seeing the local scenery then, yeah? Understanding what's yeah, on your doorstep? Many of the walks was going out there and some of the sites, some of the things I put on Facebook, um, some of the pictures, just fantastic, just beautiful. Um, and I hope to uh, continue. Yeah. Not walking six miles a day, but getting out there and walking more. And There's a lot to be said for it. There's a lot to be said just getting out, exploring what's around you or where you live and that like, and being out in nature. There's a lot to be said for that, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it clears your head as well, Dave, doesn't it? Yeah, of course, yeah. I think we're going to see, as a result, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen now with local lockdowns. They've been discussing that on the news recently, haven't they? But there's going to be a massive kind of shift in mental health when people start getting back to, like, the normal lives and that. So that is going to be, people are going to need coping strategies and coping mechanisms and just getting out walking in nature is going to be massive for people. Some sinful things like that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so... so on on this with Taylor Prescott. Yeah, so bring uh, us back to current current time now. So we've just witnessed Taylor doing some massive ultra marathon over consecutive days. How did all that come about? Well, we we started off with the uh, Wembley Challenge. Yeah, and then uh, I think it was about five six days into it, and uh, Lindsay phoned me up and she, uh, she said to me, she said. Uh, Taylor wants to do uh, seven ultra marathons in seven days. He wants to run from St. Helens to Wembley. And I, I actually said it brought me back to when Steve wanted to do the five marathons in five days over 
in 2010, I actually said, I think it's too tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taylor is an incredibly fit lad. Um, and he's got the mindset of his dad. Uh, but to do 30.85 miles a day for seven consecutive days when the furthest he's ever ran before is 22 miles. Jesus. I just thought, it's madness. It's total madness. But you can't tell a Prescott, no, (laughs) whether that's Lindsay, whether it's Steve, whether it's Taylor. So how old is Taylor now, sorry? How old is that? He's 18 years old. Right. And uh, for him, you know, like I say, it was his idea. <laughs> For him to, um, to do it off his own back was just fan- phenomenal. Yeah. For him to actually put it into practice and to completely smash it, which is what he did, just... Uh, oh. so, so can you can you remember, uh, Martin? Because he, he did it around Ruskin, didn't he? He did it around Ruskin Drive. Yeah. So yeah. how many laps is like 30 mile around Ruskin? Right. <laughs> well, having walked around there quite a few times on my doing what I was doing, yeah, uh, four laps was just over a mile. So he had right. to do 120 laps a day. <laughs> now, <laughs> when we come about the logistics of the event, uh, at first, we, he was going to do it along the road and we was going to plot some routes for him. But for him to, logistically-wise, it was it was hard for him to be at Ruskin because of the monotony of it. Yeah. But we could get people to be with him, to run alongside him. Lindsay was there every second of the, every second of the challenge, mm-hmm. providing him with... Uh, nutritional stuff, water, get toilets there. So, yeah. uh, logistically wise, it made it a lot easier. But I suppose mental, mentally, it made it harder for him. Yeah, so course, it yeah. was, you know, it, it was two sides to the challenge. Um, but um, on the first day, he smashed it. The first day, he ran thirty point eight five miles. In four hours, 58, 52 minutes. Now, his dad's best time for a London marathon was four hours, 24. So uh, that just puts it into context, you know, what he did. Unbelievable. But the, the second day, uh, he hit the wall the second day. Uh, he really struggled on the second day. But he got stronger and stronger as, as yeah. the event went yeah. on. Um and I went on the uh, the sixth day, and uh, we had George Riley, you know, um, one of our ambassadors. Yeah, he was there, and uh, there was a guy called Dave Howarth as well. Dave Howarth um, had just done fifty ten k's in fifty days for the SBF, so you had two good runners there. Yeah, right, and. Uh, Taylor had done about 20k on that day and he couldn't keep up with him. All right. <laughs> he was flying, absolutely flying. 
and they just couldn't keep up with him. And he, he was just in that mindset where I've got to get this challenge done. Yeah. And he was flying around there. But, you know, a lot, lot is said about um, going to the Pride of St. Helens. One of the reasons why the Pride of St. Helens was set up was to highlight the great youth of what's in the town or the great people that's in the town. Yeah. Everybody criticises the town, criticises the youth. But you've got someone there and his mates who came running with him, mm -hmm. his mates who's joining challenges with us. Um, I see it all the time, the great young people we have. Um, and not enough is said about the youth of today. Yeah, and it's just, you know, it's fantastic to see that we have got great, great youngsters. <laughs> who, you know, we've, we've got to highlight these youngsters. Yeah, you know, definitely. they're going to carry us through, you know, and uh, they're going to get us through bad times. And, you know, Taylor Prescott is going to get the SPF through. Uh, <laughs> Taylor. But the future of the town, aren't they, as well? Like the young people now, young yeah. men, through the, they're the future of St. Helens, aren't they, at the end of the day? And it's a small minority that, that is, is, causing havoc and that but that isn't that's just a generalization and people are too quick to generalize and the the pride of St. I mean, is, a, is a great event for highlighting the good the good that comes from the town and it, you come out buzzing you're buzzing when you're there like because of the, the yeah, stuff that's going yeah, on behind the scenes that you're not aware of yeah yeah fantastic. but you know with social media uh, the way it is now it highlights the bad you know and it doesn't often give enough praise yeah. to the good uh, yeah. you know so uh, Taylor said I also wanted my dad to be proud of me and Jesus yeah. how, how how proud would Steve be watching him do that just incredible and uh, you know I've got to say about Kobe uh, uh, Taylor's younger brother he done most of it on his bike with Taylor as well he's oh, 13 nice. years old yeah. he's, had a, he's had a big knee, knee injury uh, but again he's a chip off uh, the old block so, uh, you, you know, it was just fantastic to see. And that event, um, I think Taylor's raised about 13, 14 grand on his own. Um, and the event itself Amazing. has raised over £35,000. So uh, that, that turns into what would be a, a bad year for the SPF. It turns, we've overcome adversity. Steve taught us how to overcome adversity. And, you know, at the end of the year, we're going to still be able to give a sizable amount to yeah. our chosen charities. Yeah. You know, in what is a bad year for everyone. To be honest with you, it's been a great year for the SPF. Yeah. It goes back to what you said before, Martin, about mindset shift. If you turn problems into challenges and have a shift of mindset and come up with solutions instead of problems and we adapt, we're, we're really good at as humans of just adapting to situations. At first, COVID was like, oh shit, what's going on? We're losing our jobs yeah. and all this. But after two weeks, we adapt and we come up with new solutions yeah. and structures. So you just... Um, that's, that's right. Um, I'm, not, I'm not just talking about um, what we've been through, but mm -hmm. you see how the community from a wide got together yeah. um, through COVID. It did bring out the best in people. Uh, and I... I think a certain percentage has carried on to, to now, uh, but you you do see, and it makes me sad, that 
some people have still gone back into the old ways. Yeah. Um, you know, but when, when you see people looking out for each other the way they did, uh, you know, that, that's what we need to uh, continue. Um, and we, we need to get rid of this uh, selfishness yeah. that's in society. You know, um, you, you look at um, the weather today and it's absolutely glorious all over the country, know, which is fantastic. But sadly, we're going to see 10,000 people on the beach at uh, Bournemouth and Brighton and things like that, putting people at risk. You know, no. it's inevitable. So, you know, that side of it, I think people really do have to have a step back and uh, yeah. just look at the consequences of their actions more. Yeah, I heard um, there was a cracking quote on a, an episode that we did previously, and I'm going to butcher it. Like, but it was something like, "Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less." So, like, properly thinking uh, of other people a lot more rather than rather than just yeah. being in yourself all the time. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, really good quote. Yeah, that, that's a that's a brilliant quote, Dave. Yeah. Certainly is. Well, thanks, mate. I appreciate your your time this morning. Um, hey, just no before we just before we finish off, Martin. The, uh, the sort of mantra that, that Steve Prescott is, is famous for coming out with, what the mind believes the body achieves. Um, I think everyone can take something from that, can't they? As long as you've got the mindset to, and you've got the goals to, to strive for, it's your mind that's going to carry you through wherever your body's, your body's able. It's your mindset, and at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly, mate. You know, uh, there's, there's never a more truer saying than that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's got me through many a dark time. It's got a, every SPF supporter who's done any event. Uh, they all would have had that saying behind them. You know, I tell you a little story. With, like you, you know, my, my wife Laura. Like we did the yeah, we did the, the Yorkshire Three Peaks last time. You, you did it through Handy Pair through yeah. the Handy Pair company. Yeah, and um, Laura Laura was going through a tough time with with fat personal personal issues and a, and a dad and that, and she had to yeah. use that mantra to get her to complete that that um, yeah. task. Yeah, that. That event, yeah, superb, yeah. But again, mate, well, thanks for your time and um, enjoy the rest of the sun on today. Cheers, Dave, and thanks for all your support, mate. And thanks for giving us a bit of air time to tell people about the great man, Steve Prescott. No problem, mate. Thanks for your time. Cheers, Martin. Cheers, bro. Thanks, See you guys. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye.